This is a moment in wine and hip hop, brought to you by Crew Love, blending wine and hip hop at the highest level. Wine and hip hop, wine and music. Tell me about it. Check this out. Oh yeah, you'll be the life of the party. Wine and hip hop really mirrors the the conversations that we have in my office about wine and music. Yeah, what's good, y'all? It's your man, Jermaine Showtime Stone, a.k.a. The Wolf of Wine, a.k.a. The Zara Vibes, a.k.a. Young Thanos. I'm just out here collecting Infinity Stones. Today, I'm speaking with sommelier and journalist Levy Dalton. Now, Levy is an absolute legend. After working as a psalm in some of NYC's best restaurants, he became a pioneer in the wine media space by writing for different publications like The Eater and Bon Appetit, But most importantly, he's been in the podcast game as long as podcasting has mattered. Believe me. His show, I'll Drink to That, ranks at the top of the category with over 450 episodes. I mean, I even made an early, unmedia-trained appearance back in 2013 when I was still knee-deep in the wine auction game. So he's been a great friend and a real inspiration over the years. It was an honor to have him on. And yo, quiet is kept. There would be no wine and hip hop without him. The podcast, the brand, all that. So let's get into this. But first, scroll down to those ratings, comment, subscribe to the show, go to the YouTube channel, do the same thing. Now, without further ado, here is the Podfather. Levy, thank you for joining me on the show. Happy to be here. Great to see you. I, I really appreciate you joining. You know, um, one, we got to start by giving you your flowers in the, the podcast game. Like, I remember a time when podcasts were not lit. Podcasts were not the thing. It, it was just for people that actually just had something to say. And you were out there at that time, man. You were one of those guys very, very early in the podcast game. That um, So it, it was definitely inspiring to me from the wine industry, but also when I first was like, I wasn't even thinking about media actually at all. I was just kind of like a dude in wine, kicking it. You know, we were cool and we were chopping it up one day and, you know, I was kind of figuring out my next steps. And you were just like, yo, just lean into who you are. Right. You know, people like you, like there's nobody else like you. Just, just be more of that. And that shit like set off a light bulb in my head, which started wine and hip hop. So, you know, for all the fans of this show, they don't know, man, this shit wouldn't exist without the Podfather. So thank you very much. I mean, I think it probably would have. It might have just taken you (laughs) some time to get there. But sometimes it's just easier for people outside of you to see the bigger picture of where you could go or, you know. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you always had something. Yeah. And that's all you need in media is something, you know, yeah. just a little something. And, yeah. you know, media doesn't always pay so well, so I don't know <laughs> if it was the best thing or whatever. But if you're happy, I'm happy. And, you know, yeah. what I mean? no, I, I appreciate that, man. So thank you, man. Thank you for joining us. And everybody, the family's good. Everything's good. We can't complain. Like COVID style, like yeah. things got really bad for a lot of people and we were OK. Like, uh, you know, it wasn't like a time of joyous celebration all yeah, the time. Yeah. But like everyone, we face challenges, but some people were hit so much harder. So yeah. I, I certainly can't complain. 
Definitely. How, how's the little one doing, man? Getting bigger. Yeah. yeah. He's all about ready to uh, be tired of me tickling him and uh, put me in a headlock. He's getting big. It, like, uh, it's that point where you're trying to order clothes and you're like, should we order the six-year-old size or the ten-year-old size? <laughs> it's sort of in between. Like, it's that, it's that time of life. <laughs> what is the uh, the Levy Dalton approach to fatherhood like? Uh, it, it's um, changed a lot. Yeah? Yeah. Like, now that we can do father-son things and mm-hmm. he can respond and be verbal and yeah. stuff like that my big my big complaint growing up which is interesting to no one but me was that like no one showed me how to be cool like yeah. i didn't have big brothers <laughs> that were like you should be listening to this cool music or whatever you know so i would stumble yeah. into it like much later than everyone else right and i was always like how come my dad was a lot older mm-hmm. he was kind of like more towards the retirement age and he was a great father but maybe not so cool right you know what i mean no no disrespect it's just how it was so i was always jealous of like the people who had older siblings who were like you should be listening to this or you should be going to this and so now that i can actually provide that for somebody else and be like no no this is cool like stay with me for a second (laughs) even if it's just like the cooler lego set as opposed to the uncool lego set like i'm i'm it's satisfying for me but um you know i think my style is if he's interested, then I'll pursue that. And if not, then I'll back off. I think that's my general style. Just try to be supportive and be around. Right. A big part of me getting into media was that. Was mm. that I could be home. I could do work at home. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost like what people used to make jokes about. Like, the, like work from home and make a lot of money. Like, <laughs> that kind of, you know. Yeah. Like, you get some weird get random the- email or text <laughs> yeah. message. Like, you could work from yeah. home. Like, really? How does that actually work? Right. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I could work from home. <laughs> but, like, um, you know, restaurants are not family friendly right. in terms of working in them. And that had been my whole life. And so coming to a realization that I could build my life outside of restaurants mm. was actually hard for me. And uh, a big part of the reason why was having a child. And yeah. being like, oh, no, how can I reassort this where... Because in New York, you can either have a lot of money or you can have a lot of time or preferably both. <laughs> right. But you need one of those two things to raise a kid right. because it's expensive or you need to put in a lot of time. Mm. And so you need to figure out a way where you have that time. And the biggest thing for me was just stepping out of restaurants where like, yeah, we're cool if you work 70 hours a week. We're cool if you work 80. We're not going to pay you more, but right. that's cool. <laughs> And just kind of stepping out of that and giving that extra time to my family Mm -hmm. and also just me, like sleeping enough and being healthy as opposed (laughs) to not doing that, which is so easy in the restaurant world. Right. So a big part of it for me, I know you you never really did the restaurant thing. I know you came up in auctions. Right. So probably I'm just talking to myself at this moment. No, no, no. It's restaurants are, I mean, just the, the amount of hours. It's just, and constant, like you mentioned, having to be away from your family. You're working at the times that you probably want to chill, like Saturdays yeah. and shit, you know. I'm terrible about holidays still today because yeah. oh, I don't know how to celebrate them because I was always working. <laughs> I'm like, oh, we're supposed to do something? It's Easter? I don't know. Like, like really? You know, when did yeah. that happen? Like, uh, so, yeah, a lot of bad habits from restaurants, but mm. a lot of good times right. and a lot of great wines. The cool thing about restaurants is, if you didn't have, like, a lot of family around or a bunch of friends growing up, restaurants provide that for you. Right. You're at the cool party all the time, and people come to you to hang out with you. Right. And that can be really appealing to a point. And then yeah. you get old, <laughs> then, then you got to change it up. And so for me, a big, a big, like, second step maturity level was, like, oh, how can you rebuild your life? Right. You know? Yeah. Like, it's kind of like Jerry Maguire or any kind of, like, 
as you get a little older, this is no longer satisfying for you. How are you going to redo it? Mm -hmm. And so when I see other people who are in those transitional phases, like you were at the time you were talking about before, right. it's kind of easy for me to identify it because I've been through that kind of transition and everyone needs to find their own answer on the other side, but I know what it looks like. Right, all right. No, that, that's some real shit, man. So it's interesting. Um, we, you talked a little bit about your transition into media from restaurants. Right. Um, what sparked in your mind to say, you know, let me start a podcast? Were you always a guy that was outgoing and liked to talk to people? No. So I'm pretty introverted, but like if it's a profession, I can do it. Like, I'm terrible, like, in my real life at <laughs> cocktail parties. Like, wow. it's embarrassing. Like the, so like, the worst thing that's ever happened to me was being stuck in a cocktail party in France where I didn't know anybody and I didn't speak the language. Because, like, it's all my yeah. biggest fears, like, yeah. together in one moment. You know what I mean? Where I'm, like, calling the taxi, like, how soon exactly could you be here? Because I'm just standing in the corner looking at my phone. But when it's... I guess when it's like uh, a performance, when it's like an on stage moment, when it's my profession, then yeah. it feels different and I can work and be that way. Right. Like I was talking to someone else who was a long time in restaurants recently and they're mm. like, yeah, I'm great at dinners. Like I can do two hours of solid material. Like I got my jokes, I got my stories. But like if you push it to two and a half, three hours, yeah. it's just steep drop off. Out. Yeah, 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 exactly. Oh yeah, ran out of material. So that's me. That's all I got for you, you guys. Know. Good night. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Well, he always leaves before dessert. Oh, good thing. <laughs> like that one time he didn't, it got real bad. Like, you know, I'm the type of person who'd rather be home with a right. book or whatever. Mm -hmm. But you know, I can be I can be restaurant charming. Like right. I can, I, for the duration of your meal, I right. can be fun to be around. You know. Right, right. And so, so when did it, when did the idea of um, I'll drink to that come to you? Actually, I was doing video, mm. and it was a lot of work. And I was it was ridiculous. I was doing these video interviews, and they would take forever to turn around. People would be upset. Um, not that I'm the quickest with turning around audio, but. Somebody was like, yo, if you're not into doing all this work, maybe mm -hmm. you should do audio. And they were very familiar with podcasting. Uh -huh. And they were like, I think this is for you. And when I look back, I'm like, oh, you're saying I'm not good looking. <laughs> like, that's really <laughs> what the thing was. Let's turn but, the camera off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, like, sometimes you just have to embrace that, like, you're not Brad Pitt. You know right. what I mean? And right. it's... it's um, you're kind of Brad Pitt-ish. No, no. I'm not. <laughs> There's nothing, nothing similar at all. And, but it's worked. So, and I wouldn't say that I was the first wine podcast. It was not. There was no. others. But what I have is an ability to kind of stick with things longer than most people and to be like, this is probably a bad idea, but let's do it anyway. <laughs> like a certain recklessness that, yeah. is, you know, to some degree is, is good if you're going to do a startup media business. Right, right. So um, in the early days, like what was that like for you? Um, Scary. Yeah. I wasn't good at it, but that was a, kind of a glue for me. Because mm. what I found is if it comes too easy for me, then I lose interest. And if I'm not particularly good, then I want to get better. So that's also what happened with restaurants for me early, right. and I wasn't good at it. <laughs> right. And I wasn't good at talking to people and mm. understanding their needs and reading them and figuring out how to, like, finesse with the kitchen and the front of the house to, like, make these people happy. That was all bad for me. But you have to understand, I, I was really good in school and never really pushed very hard. Mm. So I just kind of goofed off a lot. And... Finding that I wasn't good at certain things, like everything that I've stuck with for years, 
I wasn't particularly good at. Mm. I wasn't good at tasting wine. I wasn't good at smelling wine. I wasn't good at identifying wine. And I'm not the best today. But I've gotten immensely better at it through just work and being right. like, I'm not very good at this. Let me try. And obviously, sometimes I try to do something like that. Like, I also tried to be good at soccer, and that <laughs> didn't work, and I got cut from the team. But I think there's a level where it's like, oh, you're not going to pick me, or I'm feeling excluded. I'm going to work extra hard and show you that I'm actually pretty good at this. Mm -hmm. I think whenever those kind of factors come in, then I kind of stick with it. Mm. So actually what happened was that, like, my, sh my podcast wasn't picked up and it wasn't like attracting a lot of followers and it wasn't like, I, you know, I didn't have solid production help. And I think it just kind of felt like everyone was like, nope, it's not for you. And I kind of felt like, well, maybe it is. And maybe if I stick with this and if I had any piece of advice to give anybody, just stick with the thing. Longer than you think is possible, if you can financially. Yeah. And, you know, tr honestly try to make it better and, like, listen to your own stuff and be like, would I listen to this? <laughs> I think that's a big part of it, too. Yeah. It's like listening to my own routine. And Do being you like, listen back to many of your old episodes? Uh, uh, once they're released, me. it's hard. Yeah. But up until it's released, I might listen to it 40 to 100 times, like, yeah. doing edits. Like, yeah. I'll take down three hours into an hour and stuff wow. like that. Like, yeah. I... Really, you really go through it. So you do all your own now. Edits? I do. Yeah, wow. I didn't at the time we used to record. I would record like an hour, cut out ten minutes, and be yeah. like, "Thank you." Yeah. <laughs> but now I've just realized that the way to get from consistently good to consistently greatish—I'm not going to mm -hmm. say my show is great—to get to the next level, if you just spend a lot more time and then take a lot more out. You can consistently get because the problem is consistency, right? Because a lot of times. In this kind of show, what you're dealing with is like, how strong is the guest? Is the right. guest interesting? Do they have interesting things to say? Mm -hmm. And if you're throwing in like their English is not their first language, or you don't know them very well, yeah. and they don't feel comfortable for some reason, it can take a while. Yeah. And so you want to be in that position, especially if you're going to interview like essentially farmers from a different country. Yeah. You're going to interview Portuguese farmers. You, you know, the first 10 minutes of that might not go so great. Like, <laughs> so you might want to record some extra. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And basically, you can't expect that the audience is going to, like, punish themselves to get to the end of this thing. <laughs> and so if it's not interesting for them, they're going to tap out. Yeah. And for that took me a while, too. I was like, what do you mean this isn't yeah. the greatest <laughs> thing you've ever experienced? Like, having consistency. Yeah. No, that that is key. And understanding when it's right you know knowing what to cut it knowing what to cut out what to leave in um that's a skill man and that's a talent in production it truly is an art you know as you mentioned i, I can't even imagine like speaking with people that you don't know sometimes other countries different languages how do you determine what guests you're going to speak with for your show honestly it's not so scientific but it's more just a feeling like, could I talk to this person for a long time? And mm. it, I, I would go back to, like, how we met, kind of. Yeah. I just had this sense that, like, this would work, you know? Mm. And you have that sense. Right. And, um, like, there's that lady Kondo who's like, does this spark joy? If not, throw <laughs> it out. You know what I mean? And it, for me, it's just kind of the same thing. Like, if someone says to you, would you like to talk to this person for two hours in your home? And the first thought is, absolutely. Yeah. You should book the interview. Because you're going to want to talk to that person. Like, even if no one's ever heard of them, no one understands who they are, if your first thought is, I would love to talk to that person, 
then what that means is it's going to be a good interview because you're going to be interested, you're going to be curious, they're going to respond to that. Mm -hmm. And if your first thought is, yeah, that person's famous, but I've never really got a good vibe, don't do it. There's a lot of people in the world. Right. You know what I mean? A lot a lot of people. It's a huge it, world. Unless it's some other bigger thing, like where there's a network and they're trying to make decisions about things, then it's maybe out of your control. But if you're doing your own show and your first thought is, I would love to, then do it. And if your first thought is not that, then realize it's going to be a ton of work for you because you're going to have to do all these edits and you're going to have this person in your home. you got to schedule it and don't do it. Yeah. You know, that's one thing I've done is kind of like have some respect for myself to mm. be like, this is a lot of work for me. Is this at the end of the day, is this going to be a great listen? Because if not, maybe we shouldn't. You know what I mean? Yeah. So basically you're looking for you're looking for not boring to start. But that doesn't mean it has to pander. That doesn't mean it has to be like, oh, yeah. yeah. You know, like, <laughs> but just, is this interesting? Right. And if it's not, don't release it. Would someone want to sit in with this conversation? Totally. Yeah. Like, is someone going to find this totally fascinating? It doesn't, ha- my show is not like on a major network. It, it doesn't have to reach millions. Right. I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. If, you know, a thousand people are like, this is awesome. It's a dope show. All good. Yeah. So, you know, I can make decisions that are different. And you, you can see in wine when people can't do that because oftentimes what it, what it comes down to is like distribution. Right. They'll be like, yeah, that guy makes amazing wines or that girl makes amazing wines, but those wines are only available in New York and San Francisco and you can't find them anywhere else. And mm-hmm. so my magazine doesn't want me to cover those because right. they need to be nationally available. Mm-hmm. That's actually kind of the secret to niche versus non-niche wine media. Mm-hmm. Is like, are you going to take someone like Luis Siabra and put him on your show and talk to him? Because national media is going to be like, this guy doesn't make enough wine for me to talk to this guy because he can't buy it in Chicago, or, for example. So. Right. And, you know, turned out to be a really good interview. So, you know, that's some of the things. Yeah. There's, I mean, this is my whole life, so I could talk about this a long of time course, and maybe it's course. not so interesting. But for me, does it spark real joy to be like i would love to talk to this person yeah. like let me find out about that and it everything else will come together if, you, if that's true dope so yeah. that said um when you when you set out from restaurants in the media yeah. what was your vision like what to did you money. want i was <laughs> like i'm gonna take the money i have and i'm not gonna have it at the end of this and it's all been true i predicted it and i don't know like I, you know for me i think about um when i started wine and hip-hop on the base level i wanted to change the perception of black men in america yeah, right yeah, yeah. that was like the base level but more than that i wanted to show people like one the wine industry isn't what you think. Right. You know, and I wanted to find a roundabout way of doing that, not just say, hey, the wine industry isn't what you think. Right. It was, let me right, introduce right. you to these cool people in wine that I know. Right. And then also, um, let me introduce you, these, p- these cool people in wine, let me introduce you to these rappers that I know that also appreciate right. wine. So what I was trying to communicate was um, we're all more alike than we think. Um, so that said, when you set out into media... What was it that you wanted to communicate? You know, I've changed a lot on this point. I think originally I thought that if I interviewed someone, we would be friends after and, Mm -hmm. like, I would have a bigger friend group. (laughs) Right. And that's actually a terrible idea. Like, you should never think that. Like, if you interview somebody, they're even going to remember you after. I've definitely encountered people later several times who just... (laughs) 
that I'll be like, hello, zero. Like, but again. Like, nice to meet you. you yeah, <laughs> like, yo, we yeah. fucking talked for no, three so hours. I know. I know about your grandmother. Like, I mean, you've been to my house. I made your tea. Like, but it's so comical and it's so true. Because uh, to reverse it, you come to New York. You're on a wine sales trip. You're here for three days. It's a blitz. Every minute you're meeting some new person. You're in a restaurant for long dinners. Yeah. You're waking up early. You're hitting the streets. You're meeting 20 new sommeliers you never heard about at each <laughs> restaurant stop. Then you go to this guy's house, and he looks like every other tall, skinny, white guy in wine. He's not that distinguished. He asks you a lot of questions about you, doesn't talk about himself very much. And then when you see him two years later, out of context, okay. you're at a wine tasting in France, and some guy says hi to you, you're not going to remember him. And that's what happens a lot. But at, so the first few times, I didn't realize what was happening. Because I was like, oh, hey, great to see you. You were in my house, man. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, this guy seems way too casual for me. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like he knows me or something. And, you know, but it's happened so many times now that I almost expect it. Mm. And when people are like, that was, I really appreciated that. It's actually a big surprise. <laughs> but I, I think also, like, you shouldn't go into media looking to be friends with people. Mm. Like, you can do respectful interviews that respects someone for what they've achieved and who they are and you can learn and be curious about their life. Mm. It's actually a terrible way to be friends with people. A much better way to be <laughs> friends with people is like, you want to go out for drinks sometime? Yeah. We'll just hang out. <laughs> like when you put people on the spot and you make them uncomfortable and they're talking about their dad during the war or what, mm -hmm. what he was doing, <laughs> what side he was on during that time, like things get tense. Right. They're not, they're not going to be like, why don't you come over Sunday? We'll have lunch. <laughs> it's not like that. Yeah. So that was a big wake-up call. Like That's you're... Dope. These people are not going to be your friends after, you know. <laughs> they might respect you, but so that that yeah. that for me was a and big change. What type of what uh, you know? Now that it's out, I mean, immensely popular podcast, right? Like, it's okay. I mean, it's not like blowing it up, but it's it's what it was designed to be, right? It's right. a niche show for people yeah. who really like wine, right? Because a know. lot of times, wine media is designed for people who don't care about wine, which is fine. There's a huge role for that to bring people who mm -hmm. don't know much about wine into wine. Yeah. But that's most of wine media. And it's like, well, maybe there should be an alternative, like a couple of shows for people who really like wine, who want to take a little further. Right. So that's what I tried to do. But those other ones are always going to have bigger audience because there's more people who don't know anything about wine. You know. So. And what, what is your, um, what's your experience been like just um, with your audience? You know, now that the right. show is out, being well received, right. like, what has that been like for you? Um, um, you know, it's different because I'm in New York, and in New York, everybody wants to be famous or to make it. Yeah. And so in New York, a lot of people actually, in a global context, I mean, if you compare them to other people in the world, they have trouble being genuinely happy for someone else's success. It's a fault <laughs> of New Yorkers. Like, it's, yeah. a, it's a character flaw. It's that flaw. natural competition in That's New York. That's right. Yeah, it's true. So most of the time you get like the backhanded compliment, <laughs> most of the time. So people will be like, oh man, I listened to the show, it's so much better than it used to be. And be like, what are you trying to say, it wasn't good before? I mean, I thought it was about a kind of ahead of its time before, yeah. but that's normal New Yorker. Then you get out of New York and you go to a, like a smaller city and people are super psyched. But it's a small amount of people. Like those five people are super psyched that I'm in <laughs> Minneapolis or whatever. Right. But it's not, you know. I, I'm not like getting off the plane and like 
there's not like people with signs. Be like, you. But people get you know excited to meet, especially yeah. with podcasting, and I'm sure you've experienced this too. Like people feel that they know you pretty well. They feel yeah. like they have a relationship with you, mm-hmm. and so because they hear your voice all the time in their head, uh, and it's yeah, usually on their run, and yeah. on the way to work. It's usually uh, moments when they're alone. Yeah, you know, they're doing dishes by themselves in the house. They're on their run, and like you said, yeah. So they have a relationship with you that's kind of unique if they've listened a lot. But again, it, if you want um, to have a big head, New York's will put you in check immediately. <laughs> Real quick. New York will be like, yeah, yeah, it's cool, but it's not that cool, bro. So, so all your meals aren't comp is what you're no, saying. No, <laughs> no. But I don't play that game either because yeah. uh, like, that's a slippery slope. I'm not saying that if somebody sent over a dessert, I'd be like, take it back. But I don't. <laughs> No. Nah. Yeah. And also, I've moved more away from, you know, just because of the pandemic, I've moved mm-hmm. more away from, like, on the scene out. Like, right. I'm at home all the time. So. Right. No, that, that that's real, man. And um, so just, you know, kind of on the topic of podcasting, um, what uh, are there any guests that you really wanted to get on the show? Oh, yeah, all the that time. That's why I'm still in it. Otherwise, <laughs> I would just, like, close up shop and be like, got them all. Like, who, who, is, who is the white whale? Like, who, who uh, is There's that? so many, and a lot of them have died. You know, wow, that's yeah. that's been a big uh, heartbreak, but also motivation for me to mm-hmm. keep going. was <laughs> like, you know, for instance, I had an interview set with Paul Pontelier, who was at Chateau Margaux for a billion years. And he passed away in yeah. between the time that we set the interview and we recorded it. Wow. And that for me, those kind of instances, and that's not the only one. Uh, you know, you could talk about like Anne-Claude Leflev, like similar situation, right? right. Like where you, you really wish there was this document for this person because very rarely did they write a book very much did they change like a a context for wine in their milieu Mm -hmm. you know yeah and it's like you kind of wish you had it on tape right yeah and uh so that realizing that actually kind of changed the show there's several times that my show has changed and one of them was like oh no people are passing away and i need to like get them on tape and I luckily had that realization before the pandemic mm. because what's happened is that's accelerated. Yeah. And I'm glad that some of the people that I was able to record with, I was able to record with before they passed away. Mm. Um, that's a huge, a huge motivation for me because honestly, it's not about the glam and it's not about the money. It's not even really about the lifestyle. It's more right. about like, it feels like this should be done. And I'm in a situation where I have the tools and the know-how and the resources to do it. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's on me. But if there was like a team of 20 people who were like, we're going to go around and we have a private jet and we're going <laughs> to interview people right. before they pass away, which, again, it sounds a little morbid to show up and be like, are you about to pass away? Because we should talk for a couple <laughs> hours. But like, How much time you got? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's essentially the prescription for me at this point. Right. But I would tap out if yeah. somebody else was like, we are BBC and we're going to go around and do this. But no one else is doing it, or at least I don't see it to the level that I would like to have it seen. Right. Because what we're losing is multiple generations of wine people. Mm-hmm. And actually, again, to talk about how I'm always upset with wine media, I guess. Right. Wine media mostly covers the emerging generation. Mm-hmm. And that's great. Yeah. But what we tend to do is forget about the retired person who like did something in wine for 40 years yeah and they kind of die and then everyone's like that person was amazing they changed my life and it's like well did you tell them when they were still alive <laughs> like no often is yeah. the answer and yeah. we wait for them to die and then celebrate them how about if we did it five years before that give people their flowers so while they can smell yeah, them, you, exactly you know 
And I think a little bit we're like-minded on that. I mean, mm -hmm. obviously, what we do day-to-day -day is very different, but some right. of the underlying philosophies the same, I think. Absolutely, well. absolutely. And, um, you know, it's, it's really interesting that you mention that because if I would think about how I would describe your show, it really is like an audio book. You know, it's like when you think about all of the different people that you've interviewed, it's like it's a document of history. It really is. Like you're really documenting just all of the, the, the different colors in the wine industry. What happens a lot is... Um People naturally shut up or are shut up by this idea that wine talk is snobby. And so like, oh, I can't tell those stories because gonna, I'm going to sound like a wine snob or mm. I can't really express what happened to me in my life because it's just going to be droning on and I'll sound like a wine snob. And I guess um, that sentiment is so prevalent in wine that I think it ends up um, cutting out a lot of like what would normally be the oral history segment of it. Yeah. <laughs> like in other contexts, if it was like... Let's say these people made cars. People would be interested to hear. People, would be, you made Ferraris for twenty years. You did. You worked at Ford and you designed the Mustang. Like people would be mm -hmm. interested in this. Right. With wine, there's this. Oh, it's wine. It's snobby from the get go. Whereas I, I don't actually think it is. But maybe I'm just a snob. I don't know. <laughs> I'm but cool I, being a snob. It's fine. The downside of it is when these people die. That's it. Often we don't right. have the book. We don't have the recording. We don't. We just have people who are with them at dinners who have kind of like half-collected memories. Mm -hmm. And that's a little too bad. Yeah. Just from like a... The thing is, you don't really start to understand or get good at wine for 10 to 20 years. And then we let those people die without really talking about their work. It's kind of it's, yeah. it's self-defeating. Yeah. But I understand why a lot of media is about the young and the new and the exciting. And sometimes I am too. Mm -hmm. But I just think that that's not the only story that could be told. Yeah. And I, I, something that's really reinforced that for me is the pandemic. Because very many people are dying. Like yeah. a lot of people are dying. Very true. And I think to some degree people get into wine because they don't want to think about stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, I think there's a place for it where we say, like, what did you do in your life? What did you learn from that? What surprised you? You know, who was important to you? And to share that with people, I, I think it's okay. I'm not going to say it's, like, uh, great work or, like, a, you know, but it's what I want to do. Let me right. put it that way. Uh, dope, man. That, that's, that's really inspiring. Um, you know, so this is wine and hip-hop. Right, so right. So we got to get into some hip-hop. Yeah, yeah. I always ask people, who is your rap spirit animal? Right. So if you could choose a rapper that embodies your style and your spirit and your energy, what rapper would that be? I mean, we're very different as people, and unfortunately he, he passed away far too young. But I personally liked MC Breed because I thought he was, like, aspirational in the same way that I'm aspirational. <laughs> right. Sounds good to me. Sound hard, some funky people gon' dance to Give the record a second and a chance to Hitting people like a scene of amazement While they slipping back, my feet is planted in the pavement Crumble like I can never do So now I'm looking dead at you what Like you he was like, do? when I get the G <laughs> I'm putting breed on the chrome And that's me It's like, oh no, when, when that money comes in I'm getting that nice Jeep I'm getting that nice apartment over here Like this is where I will live when right. I, That's how breed was not so common in the hip-hop scene. Right. Like, usually people are like, I got all these billions, <laughs> and this champagne's popping up. But, like, for he, me... He talked about the, the grind. 
Yeah, he was like, um, I got to get mine. You got to get yours. But like, <laughs> it wasn't like I got mine already. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? And uh, that's more me. Like, I'm, I'm the kind of, like, guy who's always like, ah, oh, that'd be cool. Like, you know what <laughs> I mean? One day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I don't know if you, but, you know, I'm a kid of the late 80s, 90s. You know, I'm, I'm uh, in my 40s now. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, shine it up good, kicking through the neighborhood, Motorola <laughs> phone, fat rims, and a Kenwood. And those are all the things that I wanted as a kid. Like, yeah. he identified them. You know, long before I was into wine, I was like, wouldn't it be cool to have a great bass in your Jeep? You know what I mean? Like, that was the thing. You know, where yeah, yeah. You just wanted a system. Like, yeah, I, I get that. So that brings us to, um, I was kind of fucked up when I saw, I, you know, I ask every guest, you know, choose a song or a bottle of wine, a pair, and I pick a pairing. And you chose the song. Today, you chose the rhymes, and I chose the wine. So you went with Ain't No Future in Your Front by MC Breed. I'm, I'm c- totally honest with you, right? Like, you know, of course, I knew you knew a little bit about hip-hop. But when I saw MC Breed, this is a deep fucking cut. This was no top 40 shit. This, like, this was a deep cut, you know? So I was, I was like, damn, Levy went deep, man. I'm super impressed, man. So it's, it's just interesting to hear that that's your rap spirit animal. Well, I mean, I, I'm not, I don't know a ton about hip-hop, but I know what I could say that would seem like a deep cut. Like, yeah. I could be like, dude, MF Doom, or I could you know, be like, I was at the like- Talib show or whatever. <laughs> it's like, big- I could... Think of it cards, like think of it like this: like somebody is like, oh yeah, you know, I I I know he drinks wine here and there, and then it's like, oh, so what's your favorite wine? You know, it's like, oh, I, I love wine from the Jura. It's just not what you would expect. Right, right, you right. know, it's like such a deep cut. I think um, with me, it's like I don't even have the bigger bigger context when it comes to hip hop. Right. I just have that one wine <laughs> that I always go back to. You, you know, it what made I mean? a, it made an impact. Like whenever I see the list, I order yeah. Dujac. Or, you know right. what I mean? It's like that. Right, right. It's like oh. Yeah, I mean, MC Breed. Like, yeah. um, th- that was also when you get older, like myself. Right, right. You remember the things from your childhood with a lot of fondness. And that was my childhood. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah, man. No, so, so um, I actually went with um, Empire State Riesling um, at, for the pairing. Um, and local, it's, local it's because, <laughs> exactly. Like one, I, I love this, I, I love this wine. been drinking it for a long time. Um, you know, bone dry, you know, nice minerality. Um, but you know, when I think about MC Breed, he's a guy from Flint, Michigan, right? Yeah. But when you listen to this track, it sounds like it's something from Cali. You know, it's, yeah. it's very Cali inspired. And what, this came out, um, 90, 91, That's right. right? Uh, where and, and this is early 90s, so in the late 80s, there was like this migration of like LA gangs into the um mid into middle America, right? So, there's this song I don't know if you ever listened to Ice Cube, My Summer Vacation. No, oh. dope song, and it details this kind of happening and showing how like LA culture started to spread to other parts of, um, of the U.S. Like, the, it was a song, he was talking about, like, um, gangs. Now clearing them out, make casualties. Still had the L.A. mentality. Bust a cap and out of there in a hurry. When you know, a drive-by in Missouri. Them fools got popped. Took that corner next day. Set up shop. And it's better than slanging in the valley. Triple the profit, making more than I didn't count. Enough rocks like Barney's rubble Cause them rock ass niggas don't want trouble And we ain't on edge
like people that were like dying for streets that they never heard of because they were claiming sets from gangs that originated in Cali. But um, this, you know, moved around to like places like Michigan, um, you know, places like St. Louis, like all um, really spread out. But I think about those OG varietals, right? Like we're drinking a wine that um, it's a Riesling, so it originated in Germany, but we're drinking a New York Riesling, right? When this um, traveled over to the U.S., it became its own thing. And now New York Riesling is a thing, you know? So I think about how the migration of cultures work, and that's the connection that I'm drawing for those two. I mean, um, wine is such a rich topic for that yeah. kind of discussion. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it's really interesting. I'm going to send you that song. It's a dope song. Check that out. I remember that other song where it's like, you know, it's just like Compton. Like, yeah. Atlanta. It's just like, remember that song? Exactly. Like, everything was like, the refrain was, it's just like Compton. So I remember that, like, um, remember that era. You yeah. know, there were some movies that came out mm -hmm. and stuff. I mean, it was an era where um, we seemed to be kind of revisiting something similar, mm -hmm. where, like, the consciousness of certain people's lives was permeating more broadly into the culture right where, like kids in the suburbs were like what's going on in you know like which is i think we've we kind of got out of that mindset for a while yeah. i'm speaking for white america and now we seem to be grappling with it more so i mean hopefully to good effect i i feel like last time what happened is like the white boys came back strong with like nirvana and program <laughs> and stuff and people were like okay well <laughs> on to the next but um hopefully this has more long lasting change i don't know dope dope um one kind of off question um what tips do you have for new for new people getting into wine right what are your wine tasting tips like what what advice would you have for hang people? out with some rich people i think is unfortunately a smart move what has happened i mean <laughs> work in restaurants where you're gonna meet people and mm -hmm. have bottles open work in retail where you're gonna have bottles i think what i typically say is you want to find a place where wine is part of the culture, not just part of the sales sheet. Mm. You know, where it's not just about the dollars, where there's more than one person who's very into wine. Because when people are really into wine, they start to make decisions that normal business people would never make. Right. Because they're into wine, they want to open bottles. Um, but unfortunately, things have changed a lot yeah. since the 90s in terms of pricing. And it's hard to get those benchmarks in place for a younger generation. Mm -hmm. I, I think what I see a lot happen and where people kind of, this isn't the absolute newcomer, but I think where people kind of bump up against um, a limit in their career is they have one group of friends and it's the wine group. And I would just say, like, have more friends than that. Like, make friends with people from different walks of life who can give you some access to or some thoughts about how to progress in your own career that aren't, because the problem is, if you're just hanging out with other sommeliers who are trying to make it, you all have the same problem, which is you want to drink all these wines and you don't have any money. And it's like, <laughs> how can we do it? Better to hang out with some people who have some money right. who can be like, oh, let's open. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I would just say be open to meeting other people. I see a lot of people who just have a certain subset of friends. You know, meet people in media, meet people in whatever and ask them about their lives yeah so it's, it's interesting um you mentioned that because we so we recently started this thing the wine and hip-hop club you know so 
everyone, we, we send a subscription out, you know, they receive three to six bottles, but they also get a playlist. And um, every month we have an online tasting group where we discuss the playlist and discuss the wine. You know, kind of like similar to the conversation that we're having, but, you know, it's a way to learn about wine and learn about hip-hop. But as you mentioned, like, tasting in that group setting from people from different walks of life, it's important to develop that. To me, that's how you develop your palate, you know? Like, um, I did recently did the five-star wines with um, right. Vanilli, and, you know, I, I'm not a tasting group sort of guy. And honestly, that experience changed my life. You know, because it was just such a diverse group. You know, one person from Hong Kong. Um, you know, I was with Yannick. And, um, you know, another person was uh, from France. So it was just this real diverse group. But we were all tasting together. And maybe they say they taste one thing. I'm like, oh, shit, you know, I kind of get that. And, you know, my palate developed from that moment. Um, I, um, yeah, I think also just travel will do that for you. And yeah. I see that in my own family. Like m with my son, it, when he goes somewhere new, he just has a more expanded vocabulary when he comes back. Mm -hmm. His mind's open to different possibilities. Yeah, yeah. And it's, we don't think about it because it's not so obvious as you get older, mm -hmm. but it's totally true. Mix around different just cultures. get out of your yeah. whatever it is and go to places where wine is around. That's real. Yo. And, you know, you don't have to live your whole life there. But, you know, go visit, meet other people. I mean, that's been a big part of the podcast for me is, like, I learn when I talk to these people. And, 100%. You know, it's yeah. not just, like, tell me about your life and I want to record. It's yeah. also a learning experience for me. Right. It's like I, didn't, I never thought about it that way. Yeah. And if you always come at wine with a curious mind, you're not going to put a, a step wrong. Yeah. Because if you're curious... You're not going to be a snob. You're going to be inclusive. You're going to welcome the viewpoints of others because you're curious. At the same time, you know, time is limited and you want to maximize your time. So you're not going to waste it. But if you lead with curiosity, good things are going to happen. That, that's my sincere belief. Oh. I think sometimes people get really jaded or cynical about wine, sometimes too early. Right. And they cut themselves off from what could have been there because they already have their minds made up. Like, when you meet someone who's already got their mind made up about wine, that's someone who stopped learning. Doesn't mean they didn't learn a lot before, but it means they stopped learning. Yeah. And if you come at it curious, you're always going to be learning. That's mm -hmm. my biggest tip, actually. Words to live by from Levy Dalton. Well, I mean, <laughs> I don't know, but... That's the new podcast, know. Words to Live By by Levy Dalton. I was, I was thinking, like, every because so, I don't love the name of my show, you know? I'll drink to that, it's kind of boring. So, like, I, I always think, like, what would I call it? And, and now I think I would call it, like, the wine generations are dying, like, in, like real, like, grim, you know what I mean? some shit out. But, like, it's... Um, I, I, and I do think, you know, I was kind of skeptical before about, like, mass wine media. But it is so important to bring people in who don't already know about wine. Mm -hmm. um, because we do face a period where wine is it's less popular than it was in the 90s. And there are yeah. other really good alternatives to mm -hmm. wine if people are looking for fun times. And I do think it's really incumbent on people to reach new audiences and bring in people. Because this is a... It's not just a beverage. It's a it's a really complex world that you can live in and like learn from and be inspired by and think different because there's levels of nuance in this beverage that are going to surprise you. And you're going to taste things that you didn't think were possible before right. you got into this world. And it's, it's all pretty great, but 
the key is to just not get like into the point where you think you know it all and you're not learning anymore because actually that takes the fun out of it for everyone around you too. So that's my thing is stay curious. For sure, man. Um, can we give the audience your social media handles? Sure, yeah. It's, so my name is Levi, but it's L-E-V-I. So like Levi. Often confusing for people, but it's <laughs> Levi with an I. And uh, my social media is usually Levi Opens Wine. So Opens with an S, W-I-N-E, on Instagram, on Twitter. And then I have a show called All Drink to That, Wine Talk with Levi Dalton. Uh, <laughs> That's on most of the places you would find podcasts. Dope. We don't do video. We don't do video. <laughs> dope, dope podcast, man. Well, Levy, you know, it is a true honor to have you on the show. You know, I know you don't do a ton of interviews, so thank you very not much. I to do that, I know what can happen in the edits. Like, I know, <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I really, really appreciate you joining me on the show. It means a lot. And, um, you know, make sure you guys subscribe to Wine and Hip Hop. It does a lot. Vote the show up. And um, thank you for joining, man. Appreciate uh, you. I really appreciate the uh, opportunities. Actually, super nice of you. And, uh, you know, my best of luck in your career and everything. That's I think it's a bright future, and it's just I'm happy for you. Amazing, man. Congrats. Thank you. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> it's all in a pandemic time. Yeah, yeah, we fucked that up. But it's cool, man. It's Wine and Hip Hop, y'all. Peace. <laughs> this was a moment in Wine and Hip Hop brought to you by Crew Love.